Good evening, church. This is the day the Lord has made, and and we do rejoice and are glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, It's great to see all of you here tonight, especially those who are new to us. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Paul, and I'm privileged to serve as one of your associate pastors here at Grace Covenant Church. Um, And tonight we have the pleasure of opening up God's Word with you and sharing what we believe He has for us uh, this evening. If you've not been with us over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series now about the power of God. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Jim opened up that series and talking about how we might prepare the soil of our hearts individually and collectively for the supernatural. Um, And he he spoke of a, a number of really important principles, one of which included humility and understanding who we are not while simultaneously understanding whose we are. And he came out of Second Chronicles and the story of Jehoshaphat recognizing that in and of himself he didn't have the power, but he did look to God for such power. And then Pastor Duke followed up the following week, continuing to talk about how we till the soil for the supernatural, and again spoke a powerful word in pouring into us, not the least of which included a conversation around compassion and how as disciples of Christ, we too can be conduits through whom his compassion can flow and as such... The soil can be prepared well for God to do what he does, which is always supernatural. And if you didn't have a chance to be here, or if you were here, and like me, you'd like to just go back and take another listen, thank God for a website with a wonderful podcast where you can go and do so. So gracecove.org, I would encourage you all to visit. Um, Last week, we were able to share a bit in following up with that backdrop and solid foundation for this series, The Power to Save. And we came out of Hebrews chapter 7 where uh, we learned a bit about Jesus being our high priest and how he as our high priest is superior to that of the old covenant Levitical priesthood. On one front, he was not in the Levitical lineage as all of the Levitical priests were. He was appointed by God by oath, guaranteeing us a better covenant in the new covenant. He was without sin, empathizing with our weakness, being tempted as we were tempted, yet without sin. And so unlike the high priest in the Old Testament who went into the tabernacle, you had the priest who were in the outer room, if you will, of the tabernacle who were doing ministry, and those who went into that inner room, the high priest who once a year had to make a sacrifice for themselves and others, Jesus, who was without sin, our high priest, was able to go and sacrifice once and for all. And in so doing, he now sits on the right hand of the Father after having risen from the dead with all power in his hands and is interceding on our behalf. And so last week, we talked about how God, through Jesus Christ, can save us completely, Hebrews 7 and 25 says, from the penalty of sin, which is a good thing, you can say amen to that, that we don't have to go to hell, (laughs) And he goes beyond that in that he wants to save us now. The issues that we are dealing with now, the resentment and the bitterness that we may harbor in our hearts for things that occurred to us years ago, he wants to save us completely now from the guilt, from the shame, from the pit of depression. Jesus, our high priest, the objective work on the cross, he can save us completely. So that was last week. He is able, and with that, and the previous messages and this 
entire series as a backdrop, we want tonight to talk a little bit about the power to reconcile. The power to reconcile. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And before we read, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made, and we do rejoice and we are glad in it. Oh, how good it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. And we are so glad that in your midst we have the opportunity to open up your word and hear what you have to say to us and for us. I pray tonight that you would do just that, open up our eyes, our ears, of our hearts, so that we can understand and we can apply the word as you have designed it to be applied to our lives, such that we can walk more prayerfully and uprightly before you tomorrow than we did today and the next day than we did the day prior. Holy Spirit, speak tonight. You speak, you encourage, you admonish, you remind. Thank you for the opportunity to be your mouthpiece, Lord. You speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and it reads this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The title of the message tonight, again, the power to reconcile, and I want to add to that, get dressed. Get dressed. Uh, A few days ago, today's Wednesday, right? Monday. I was hanging out with a really good friend of mine who from college has been the guy who has called and asked, am I still dating my wife and am I giving my emotional leftovers to my kids? Those sorts of accountability questions. He said to me weeks ago, man, when you get a day off and you're not going to Charlottesville, you need to take a break and come hang out. So Monday was one of those days. Appointments were canceled in Charlottesville. I called him. I said, hey, last minute, what are you doing? He said, well, this is my day off. Who knew we both would end up in ministry? He's a pastor down in D.C., and uh, he said, I take Mondays, I'm over at uh, the golf course, pretending like I know how to play. So come on over, I'll pay for the balls, we'll have lunch. So I go over there, sure enough, we're both terrible, but we're there just relaxing and, 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 and encouraging one another, catching up about family and life and ministry and so forth and so on. And we get out after lunch to the driving range, and we're hitting these golf balls, and, and there was a class that we had heard inside of the uh, we call it the clubhouse, and we didn't know it was a class until somebody came out and said, and you will not do this, and, and make sure you don't cheat when I do this. And we were like, what in the world? Where are we? So we go out, and we're hitting golf balls in the class. After about 20 minutes, comes out, and we say, oh, great, we can learn a little bit from them. We'll watch them, listen to the teacher. And we did that for about five or six minutes. And then that person, the instructor, came over to us and said, y'all need to go. We have this place reserved. <laughs> And so I looked at my buddy, he looked at me, and without saying anything, you know, 20 plus years of friendships, you kind of know, like, did you bring your patience? (laughs) Did you bring your long suffering? Did you bring the forgiveness? Okay, cool, we're good. And we left, and we went to another area in the the driving range, and truth be told, she did have it reserved, though I think she could have been a little bit nicer in her tone, but, uh, but she had it reserved, and we left, and we walked away. 
But I imagine all of us find ourselves, maybe not in that scenario or situation, but in situations where we are either happy that we left the home dressed, clothed with humility and kindness, gentleness, patience, and as such, we facilitated reconciliation. Or perhaps on the other end of that, we did not come dressed. (laughs) And something showed up on our calendar without an appointment, and we created more distance versus facilitating the reconciliation that God calls us to participate with him in. I think our text tonight offers us a roadmap, if you will, for participating well with God in his plan for reconciliation. And I believe our admonishment, again, from this text is to get dressed. Verse 12 begins with, therefore. If you were here last week, you know whenever there is a therefore, and we know from the teaching we get here that we need to go and find out what it's what is there for? And so if we can zoom out a little bit like we did last week in the book of Hebrews and thinking about the book of Colossians overall, it's written by the Apostle Paul and it was written really to address a number of growing heretical teachings in the church. And there's no real conclusive agreement among scholars around what that heretical teaching was. It didn't seem to be one particular one, but it was kind of a, a, a combination of teaching around ceremonialism not eating this or not eating that, Uh, asceticism, which refers to that of of practicing self-denial. There was uh, 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 human knowledge and wisdom that was being sought after over Christ. And overall, just the depreciation and devaluing of the person and work of Christ. And so Paul wrote this letter. How many of you know it's a pretty dangerous space to find yourself in when you are misappropriating trust and reverence that is belonging solely to Jesus Christ. Now, we here at Grace Covenant don't have to deal with or contend with, if you will, the corporate, uh, in a corporate setting, the, 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 what they were dealing with here at the Church of Colossae. But individually, outside of this space, we can be certain that the enemy will try to come in with a wind of doctrine or something that might tickle our ear, that might take us away from or divert our attention and trust and reverence for Christ in our lives. And so Paul then spends much of the first two chapters essentially uh, exalting Christ as the very image of God, the creator, the one mediator between God and human beings. And he's exercising in that space his authority as an apostle to call the church back to the truth of the gospel in that salvation alone can be found in Christ. Moving forward into chapter 3, where we find our text, he begins then to address the more practical implications of this truth. He begins in verse 1, for example, by saying that if we have been raised with Christ, we can then set our hearts on things above and not on earthly things. We can take off our old self and all of its practices, and we can put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of our Creator And part of that, Paul says, is that we can be reminded and recognize that there is no Greek, nor Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but that Christ is all and is in all, verse 11 says. Can we say amen to that? That we can all come to the foot of the cross together and all of us are invited on an equal playing field to have access to our Father in heaven. But I think Apostle Paul here is amazing for many reasons. Not just in this text, obviously, in all of the epistles that he's written. He's amazing for so many reasons, not the least of which for me includes how he masterfully handles 
this conversation, and he does so elsewhere in Romans and uh, Galatians 3. Um, he's bold on one hand in sharing the truth that in Christ none of these divisions are to be, that we've all been given one spirit to drink, 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, or 12 and 10, I believe says. But I want to suggest that he's also mentioning these categories of Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, in such a masterful and somewhat psychological intervention in that he's acknowledging the lived experience of theirs to date, while at the same time inviting them into what the kingdom represents. Masterful. When we talk about reconciliation, the very word implies that there's a separation between two parties, that there's a breakdown somewhere in the relationship, an alienation, if you will, an incompatibility. And just last night, I was talking to a group of uh, future school counselors out in Arizona. I wasn't there, thankfully, but Skype, praise God for technology. I was able to talk to this group of future school counselors. A colleague called and said, can you come and talk to us about cultural competence? I said, sure, let's have a conversation. And so over the hour, there were questions and sharing. And one of the questions that came up from one of the gentlemen was, Paul, how have you dealt with or how did you deal with when you were in the schools Bridging the disconnect between teachers or parents or administrators. How did you deal with those really tough circumstances? I said, well, first of all, that disconnect is every relationship, right? Every student, every parent, every teacher, every administrator, it's every relationship. As I heard growing up, if, if, if everybody's in agreement, somebody's lying, <laughs> right? So there's always some level of disconnect. It's just a matter of sort of the degree to which that disconnect Exist. So I started with that, and then I went on to talk about my role in the schools being that of shepherding students through a, their high school career and managing and facilitating their personal and emotional and academic and career development. And so whatever was creating distance at any time between me and any stakeholder, for the sake of the students, my role was to endure, to forgive if necessary, and to love, because at the end of the day, it was about the student. That was my role to advocate for the student. So whatever came our way, those were the three things we could focus on, enduring, bearing with, forgiving, and loving. And making some sense, as I believe Apostle Paul again does masterfully, of what may cause divisions in our very real and imperfect space that we all occupy, while simultaneously inviting them to come across the bridge, if you will, of forbearance and gentleness, and humility, and compassion, and forgiveness into a new space. Paul is incredibly masterful. He mentioned this, mentions this knowing what causes or what has caused such division, not denying their reality of their lived experience, with which they were undoubtedly probably still grappling. But he then invites them into the new space in Jesus Christ where none of that exists delicate balance, the how of how we do that. But Paul, I think, provides a little glimpse into how we might do that well. And so the first chapter of Colossians says this, that we were alienated from God. We were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. And God, through Jesus, took on flesh to know exactly what that was like. And as such, we all can be reconciled to God through Christ's physical body and death. 
And might I pause there to say any reconciliation we are going to experience horizontally in the relationships that we have is going to begin with the vertical reconciliation with Jesus Christ. It's because of him. It's because of his power. It's because of his objective work on the cross that the power can then reside within us to endure, to forgive, to love. It begins, firstly, with Jesus Christ. Therefore... Verse 12 says of our text, given that there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free in Christ, we as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, can close ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. We can bear with each other. We can forgive whatever grievances we may have against another. We can forgive as the Lord forgave us. And then verse 14 says, and then over all of these virtues, we can put on love, which binds all of them together in perfect unity. So again, our admonishment tonight for all of us is that God, in a sense, is waiting for us to get dressed. Put on the clothes he's already paid for to cover up the flesh that can get in the way of reconciliation and only create further division that the world knows really well how to do. Put on the clothes he's provided for us. Get out of the way such that he can get in the way and do what no human philosophy or wisdom or strategy could ever, although well-meaning, very ill-sufficient, could ever accomplish. Clothe ourselves. Get dressed. I mentioned a moment ago that Pastor Duke talked about compassion, and I love the reference to the King James Version that he made to the bowels of mercy and out of the depths of who we are, the tenderly, the most tenderly of affections can flow. And Pastor Jim also, as I mentioned, talked about humility and and that being a, a, a critical piece of us tilling the soil for the supernatural, recognizing what we are not and also who we are in him both of which critical to preparing the soil for the supernatural, closely tied, of course, to the gentleness and kindness and patience that we see here in this text. So moving on to verse 13, it adds then what? That we are to bear with each other and forgive each other. And if we were to look this up in the the Greek to get more specificity as to what's being said here, by Paul, bearing with each other involves, as we've mentioned, enduring with one another, holding up one another, sustaining or suffering with another, seeking to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How many of us are willing to suffer with, to endure with, to hold up even when circumstances are not the most comfortable for us to stand and hold up with our brothers and sisters and forgiving which in the greek means to grant as a favor to pardon or to rescue this means that we don't harbor any malice toward those who may have called us caused us an offense this might be the moment where i hide behind the pulpit you're like i'm with you until then how can i not hold malice for what they did to me I'll never forget, maybe we've said at one point in our lives. And you really might want to go. Because in addition to that, we are ready to do that person good as if they have never given us a reason to complain. And we're able to forgive them and tell them as such when they come to us and ask, have you forgiven me? And we are always to treat them kindly as if 
they have never offended us. Now, I'm sure none of you have any reason to forgive anybody in life because all of us have just walked the very smooth path of life where no offense has come our way. Everybody at our job lays out the red carpet for us. In our neighborhood, they say park in front of my house anytime you want to have small group, tell all 10 of your folks to do that, right? We've never had to operate in this forgiveness. So if you have to share with somebody else, let them know. Forgiveness is about releasing that offense to God, releasing your emotional reaction and response to him, harboring no malice toward that person, being ready to do good to him or her who has caused you harm, forgiving them and telling them as such when they ask and treating them kindly as if they've never offended you. Just as God has forgiven us, lest we forget how freely he forgave us without hesitation for the sin and the evil in our heart toward him. Above all this, verse 14 says, over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I was reading something briefly about this uh, pastor out of, uh, an author out of uh, Oregon or Washington, Eugene Cho, but he talked about this idea of loving and how it's impossible to ever love our neighbor without knowing them. And that this idea in a very connected world as we are, there's this tension, like that's where the tension in our space resides. There's this connectivity, yet there's this incredible sense of disconnectedness while we are supposed to be loving each other. How can we do that if there's no time spent? There's no real authentic knowing. There's no going beyond the icebreakers, which, by the way, I really love, and all the small group leaders can nod your head because every sermon-based study, there's an icebreaker at the beginning, so I do love them. But if we never go beyond that, and sit with, walk in the metaphorical shoes of each other's lives, hmm. spending time empathizing. Someone else we know has done that for us, taking on flesh for us. That casual, if you will, how are you? Fine, blessed and highly favored, doesn't get at knowing someone, which then quite naturally doesn't facilitate or lead into us being able to love particularly well. Side note, small groups, I brought that up. If you're not in one, (laughs) let me just say, you are not becoming all that you could become in Christ. I could leave it there, and I think I will for time's sake, but I will throw an analogy that just came to mind, and that is if you've ever been on a cruise, not being in a small group to me, and every analogy I get falls short, but you'll get hopefully the truth of what is being said here. On a cruise ship... It'd be like you staying in your room. You're on the ship. You're on the seas. You might even feel that you hit an island or whatever, but you will not have ever taken advantage of all the midnight buffets and all of the opportunities, the child care if you have kids, for you to get some time alone. You will have not experienced the fullness that is that cruise. Might I say, as a too long of an aside, not having a small group, a community, whether it's through the official small group ministry or some other space within which you can be sharpened by the community that is Grace Covenant and beyond, you are living beneath privilege. Moving on. Investment is involved with reconciliation. We must endure, we must forgive, and we must love. The enemy, do not get a twist. He, he was definitely at the Church of Colossae trying to, 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 to disrupt, to 
divide, if you will, uh, them through this heretical false teaching there at Colossae. And as I mentioned, we are grateful to God for the teaching we have here such that corporately, that's not a concern. But in our individual lives, yes, he will come. You can expect him to come to your marriage and try to drive a wedge between the two of you. You can expect the enemy to come to your neighborhood and have that line in the sand, that property line, if you will, thicken over time due to some frivolous thing that means nothing in Christ because we can overcome them. But you can expect for that to happen. You can expect in the workplace, perhaps for there not to be a red carpet, but a black one or even a hole for you to walk in when you get to your job. You can expect <laughs> for there to come to your, something to come to your doorstep that says to you, reconciliation not possible. But the good news, as we prepare to conclude, the good news is that over 2,000 years ago, our wardrobe was purchased for us. Purchased, paid in full. When he who knew no sin took on our sin, was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the punishment that has become our peace was on him purchased. It's in the closet. It's better than Saks Fifth. It's Nordstrom Rack. It's purchased for us. And he didn't stop there, Lord. I thank you that you rose on the third day, proving that you are the Son of God with all power in your hand. And that same power, the same power that allows us to be reconciled to him now lives in us, 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, and that we have the ministry of reconciliation. So through him, we can endure. Through him, we can forgive. Through him, we can love. He's purchased our wardrobe. Apostle Paul goes a little bit further, I believe, in Ephesians, where he talks about even the, the other parts of the clothing that we can put on. He says, guess what? You got a little nice belt on. I see you really cute and all of that. But the belt of truth, try that on. It's been purchased for you already. Your feet, again, wherever you may go, Saks Fifth, my father-in-law really loves, so that's what comes to my mind first. Wherever you go doesn't stand a chance against what God has already fit our feet for, being the readiness through the gospel of peace. The breastplate of righteousness has been purchased. Shield of faith has been purchased. And the hat, the finest hat you would ever find, and you don't even have to be a first lady in the church to wear it. Right? John 3.16 said what? He loved, the, he loved the world that he gave his son. All of us can put on the helmet of salvation. And it's been purchased. God is saying to us, get dressed. Put on the clothes. Don't leave the house and say, oh, my goodness, where's my other shoe? Have yourself armed with what he's already paid for what he's already paid for. Oh, God is good. I, I want to, as we conclude, come back to that story I shared a little bit earlier about my buddy and I at the golf course, not knowing what we're doing. Terrible, terrible, terrible. But it was fun and help, helpful, I think, for us in terms of a Sabbath this week. But later on, I was sitting, literally sitting, and I said to myself, Mary, he was already gone, and I said, we were playing we were playing for a while before she came over. She gave us about 10 minutes grace. <laughs> Could have been nicer, but that's not the point. She gave us about 10. And in that moment, I said, huh, I hear you, God. 
How many times when I don't even realize it, you, my brothers and sisters, certainly the Lord has already done it and continues to do it. He covers. He endures. He forgives. He's patient with me. How much more so can I be reminded in that space or any other, God, help me to be dressed to endure. Not for any other reason than to see them one, to see us reconciled. That's why we do what we do. That's why we grind, as they say. That's why sometimes we do the things that may be logistical nightmares. It's not about us and the work that we do. It's, God, you've given me an opportunity to partner with you, to see somebody one to the Lord, to advance your kingdom. I'm in every fiber of my being. I will drive wherever I need to drive, how often I need to drive, to see your kingdom advance. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. And God is saying, get dressed. Get dressed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clothes that you purchased on the cross for us over 2,000 years ago. We are humbled by the opportunity that you would even allow us to partner with you by putting them on and stepping out and being an agent of reconciliation in a dying world. Help us to be salt and light, preservatives for those around us who may not even recognize it. We didn't know we were given 10 minutes grace. They, people may not know, God, but you give us that insight to know in the moments that we need to know and employ that which you've given us to put on. Forgiveness, forbearance, love. And with your heads bowed, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, you know, I've been covered. I, re I remember. I I can remember this moment or that moment and God, you cover me and, and I have yet to say thank you nor really fully surrender my life to you. So at this moment, if you're sitting here and have yet to make Jesus Christ your Lord and you're wanting for that power that he has to reconcile to reside in you, I want to pray the prayer of salvation with you. If that's you, raise your hand so we can pray with you this evening. Amen. I see that hand. Once your hand is up, you can put it down. Those of you who have raised your hands, pray this prayer with me. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. I choose today to turn away from everything the Bible calls sin and to follow you for all of my days. I have sinned. And today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And by your word, I believe today I am saved. In Jesus' name, can we rejoice for those who have given their lives over with the angels in heaven who are rejoicing with them. God bless you all.